Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pour Over Podcast, what is an extension of Peaks and Valleys. In this space, we seek to share the table with storytellers and seekers alike, hopefully and almost certainly over a great cup of coffee because we know that brings people to the table. We seek and want to see you flourish in your mental health journey. I'm your host, Jonathan Coggins. And I'm Kyle Ridgely, and I hope that this space is safe and inclusive for all. Welcome to the table. Hello, Peaks and Valleys, and welcome to the Forever Podcast. Um, welcome to the table, like we always say. Hope you have, um, wherever you're listening to this episode, whether it's in your car or, you know, you're just taking in, you know, your morning routine, hopefully you have a good cup of coffee with you because that's why the Pour River Podcast is named what it is because we believe great coffee brings people to the table, it fosters community. So welcome to our table. Um, hope you all are doing well and have had a phenomenal week. I'm your host, Jonathan Coggins, and I'm joined by my other host, Kyle Ridgely. What's up? How you doing, Kyle? You know, I'm doing good. You know, um, it's the weekend. Um, I find myself working to the weekend. That's bad. I don't know. But hey, self-care weekend is here. So I'm feeling pretty good. So, yeah. 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 Well, like like we always do, you know, the self-care check in. How are you doing, Kyle? You know, um, there's a lot of things been going on, but I'm making it, making it through, just making sure I take the time to check in with myself, um, making sure that uh, I don't I don't speed up too fast, you know, making sure that I take the moment to just feel the moment, you know, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I know I I get that because I because I know I I have a tendency to do that sometimes mm. like speed up and like not take those moments mm. to slow down you know so always got to remember to mm. do that slow mm. down a little bit you know um, yeah yeah all right so today we have um, two guests actually for this episode. And I'm really excited about this conversation, and I'll explain why, me in particular, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, so our first guest, you have heard her husband's voice on this this platform, this podcast, uh, Timothy Lloyd. We We did a conversation on Christian nationalism, what it is, why we resist it. That was a super fun conversation with Tim. And now today we have his wife, Hannah Lloyd, joining us on the podcast. Good friend of actually mine and Kyle's. And I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit. A decade now. A decade. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. A decade. Mm -hmm. Time flies. I know. Time flies. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, Hannah will share her story and like possibly how, you know, our paths intersect. you know, next guest is um, Noah. R- remind me your last name, Noah. Altoff. Altoff. Noah Altoff. And how I know Noah is 
I, I found Noah through um, the New Evangelicals, and you all have heard Tim's voice on this podcast. He's, you know, started New Evangelicals, is essentially the face of New Evangelicals, but Noah's their podcast producer. So if you, um, either either from Tim being on here or you just knew him before then, I mean, if you if you've heard their podcast, Noah's the guy that you know makes that magic happen and produces that podcast. And I met Noah actually. Me and Kyle met Noah December sixteenth, I believe that's when it was, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. A super super fun live podcasting event that New Evangelicals, um, April A Joy, and and we we mentioned April in our mine and Kyle's Christmas episode debrief where we debriefed about the Chattanooga event. And then uh, a guy named Michael from, um, which is the owner of Mad Priest Coffee based out of Chattanooga. And at that podcast event, Noah was present. He he was on the road with uh, Tim and Michael and me and Kyle got the opportunity to connect with Noah in person and just, you know, um, chat and connect and have some camaraderie around um, a lot of stuff that we've talked about on this podcast, you know, deconstruction, navigating that. And so, yeah, um, having a conversation with Noah, um, hearing about a little bit about his background, which, which, you know, he'll, he'll share that story. And then me and Hannah, and Kyle had a conversation about Hannah being on the podcast at some point. And knowing Hannah's background, some of what she came out of, I, I just had this instantaneous thought. Wow, like, what a really cool conversation, knowing Noah and Hannah have came out of similar modes of evangelicalism and have a conversation together about navigating that coming out of that, what that journey was like. And so that's our guess that that's how, you know, this episode really, really came together. Um, so I'll just go ahead and start and just hand it over to you, Hannah, to just introduce yourself um, and who you are, what you do, really what, whatever you want to share. Well, I'm really bad at introducing myself, so if I forget anything, please let me know. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, my name's Hannah. Um, I am married to Tim Lloyd, who was on the Christian Nationalism episode, which is super awesome. Um, y'all did a great job on all that. So if you haven't listened to it yet, definitely go do that. Um, I am program coordinator that probably means nothing to anyone. Um, for the why, I work with kids in after school, so I just work with kids and try to wrangle elementary schoolers as much as possible all day. Um, I went to the Baptist College of Florida with Jonathan and Kyle, um, graduated actually at the same time that Jonathan did, just a different degree program, but he's in youth ministry, and I sadly don't have coffee right now, but I do have a nice orange LaCroix, so, yeah, and I also live in Asheville area, I moved here about a year and a half ago, so I get the good luck of hanging out with these two guys right here a lot, so, very thankful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Nice. We're glad you're here too. We Thank are. You. Yeah. You know, I brought her up here what like a year, two years, summer twenty eighteen. Yeah, and like you should move up here. She's like, ah, I don't know, yeah. maybe. And then, and then what happened? Spring you... twenty one, it happened. So <laughs> right, you're here. <laughs> you're here. So awesome. Well, yeah. thanks for being here, and thanks for having me. Yeah, excited about yeah. this conversation. Yeah. All right, Noah. Um, a little bit about. You know, you, so our listeners can get to know you a little bit, um, where you are, really what it, you know, whatever you want to share, man. Awesome. Well, hey friends, my name's Noah. I'm 23. Um, do a couple different things for a day job. One of which is I do a lot of music production, um, and also podcast production, which is kind of how I'm connected into some of these worlds and how we became friends through the new evangelicals. Um, total book nerd. I could talk your ear off for hours about uh, the intersection of Eastern and Western philosophy and all that kind of nerdy stuff that no one actually cares about. Um, cat dad. And I'm obsessed with good coffee right now. I'm sipping on the dark night of the soul blend from mad priest coffee, actually. Um, Heck Michael yeah. Sent me some of that home and I'm savoring every last bit of it. It's delicious. Um, but orange LaCroix is a superior seltzer water flavor too yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good this is my first time having the orange <laughs> orange and grapefruit are, are my absolute favorites san paulo or something like that is my current favorite with Ooh. it's a good one yeah yeah nice yeah i actually just finished up the last bit like 15 minutes before we started recording I finished up the last of my Tanzania from Mad Priest. Ooh. Yeah. I heard really good things about that one. I didn't get to try the Tanzania. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. I'm excited. We decided we're all taking a trip to Chattanooga this summer oh, um, nice. for my birthday. So we're going to have to try some Mad Priest coffee. I'm very excited. Yes. Yes. That's awesome. My favorite thing about that shop was that their menu was divided up into the New Testament, the Old Testament, and the Apocrypha. Nice. It's pretty great. Tongue and cheek humor there. I I love what Mad Priest does, man. Yeah. So before we speaking of coffee, before we dive into this conversation, Hannah, we'll start with you. Yeah. This is a you know question we normally ask our guests because we are the pour over podcast. You know, it's that ode to coffee, right? Pour over coffee. What is your favorite? Uh, coffee or brew method or and brew method okay oh man i'm so bad at this um my favorite brew method the pour over is fun but i'm really impatient so probably (laughs) really truly i'm pretty simple and i just like use my nespresso i know that's like terrible to say Mm. um but that's my go-to until we actually get an espresso machine because used to be a barista and i love the actual espresso but i really like tim will make mocha pot we haven't done that in a while but a good mocha pot but what is it a cuban i cubano cubano like yeah brown sugar and stuff Mm, yeah at home that's usually my favorite Mm. but i'm gonna go ahead and just throw this out there because i don't know a great answer a vanilla oat milk latte or a honey oat milk latte Mm, are usually my go-to so oat milk yeah do the dairy so the oat milk Mm, way to go nice Mm. nice Noah, same for you. What is yeah. what is your favorite um, coffee and or brew method? 
cool. So my usually go to if I'm brewing at home is going to be a pour over, um, just because I really like the repetition of the whole process. I feel like it puts me in a, a good place. It's kind of like a little micro meditation for me. Um, and I just really enjoy the flavor of it. If I'm out at a coffee shop somewhere where I know I'm going to have access to a really good espresso machine, my go-to is usually going to be an Americano. Um, or I love a good chai tea latte mm. too, but mm. I'm a little bit of a snob with those. Mm. So I won't I'm get into it. I'm a chai convert. <laughs> no. you're, you're a chai convert, you said? I am a very recent, nice. very recent, but I do like it. <laughs> I understand the hype now. Yeah. Mm. So I'm curious, how are you, uh, what, what, d- describe what a, a, being a chai snob means. I'm <laughs> oh curious. Boy. You asked. Okay. So there's, <laughs> there's a lot of different ways that a, a coffee shop might um, prepare a chai. And there, there's different bases for how you're actually going to get the chai flavor into the drink. A lot of coffee shops, what they do is they'll um, either purchase or they'll make some kind of syrup that they'll use as the base. That's like if you were, say, to go to a Starbucks. I used to work at a Starbucks and all of the chai flavor just comes from a, a syrup that gets pumped into your milk. Um, other coffee shops, they're going to use powder. Um, powder's okay. I think it's usually better than the syrup, but the my favorite method is if you're actually using loose leaf tea um, and you brew it in just a little bit of water and then you fill the rest of the way up with steamed milk. And that is just chai nirvana right there. It's phenomenal. So you want the real stuff? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's Once you've had it though, every other kind of chai is just a little bit disappointing. So I mean, that's, I, that's the warning. Yeah, there. I I can imagine. Um, any of y'all have y'all come across or heard of the account on Instagram called Cross Culture Christian? Yes, Lovely I I use his chai recipe. Who I follow? Yes, because because when you were talking about chai and like the the classic original way of making chai like with actual leaves and stuff cross-culture christian his account came to mind because he's always doing like he's all about chai and he's always doing chai videos where he's like the whole process like and it is fascinating like just watching him make the chai like the traditional way you know looking at it on instagram because i'm really bad at the name so i had to look it up i do follow him on tiktok Okay, but I just followed him on Instagram. Have you have you ever watched his chai videos? Yeah, yeah like they're fascinating. I started aren't watching they? Them before I even drank chai, so yeah, fun to watch them. He's got on his website a uh, a free recipe guide for a bunch of chai Ooh. recipes, and this Ooh. is like my chai bible when I'm trying to make drinks at home. <laughs> I'm I am nowhere near to the level of what what he'll do with one of these drinks. I'm usually working with um, like you know, grocery store level chai leaves, tea leaves, but um. Still, step in the right direction. The recipes are great, so everyone should check that out if you want to experience some good chai. Heck yeah, 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 yeah for mm-hmm. sure. Party. Yeah, yeah, chai party. There you go. All right. Well, today on the podcast, and thanks for you know the great introductions and conversation about coffee and chai. I always love those. You know, um, again, just just that camaraderie and just just that. Those basic things like that brings humans together to the table. Coffee, chai, you know, I love it. I feel like I know know it better already. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So today we're, we're going to 
I guess it's a it's a little bit different conversation than we've had thus far because I I don't think we've ever ever actually had a conversation where hey I was in this specific camp of evangelicalism this is my journey out of it but that's what we're going to be diving into today specifically you know the calvinistic reformed mode of evangelicalism um and both Noah and Hannah's journeys like navigating in those camps and waters out of that like conversations about views of mental health their own mental health journey like navigating all that and then just better pass forward like we always like to land these episodes on is what what are what are those better pass forward out of whatever our conversation was um so whoever wants to start um just kind of dissecting your story on um like how you grew up, how you landed in that space of that Calvinistic reform space. So who whoever wants to kind of start. Noah, do you want to start? Do you want me to go first? I, I would love if you started first. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I am a PK, preacher's kid. Um, I'm going to make a terrible preacher's kid joke and say I was a drunk baby. I was drunk at church. That's that's pretty funny. Yeah, that's pretty so good. I have literally my entire life I've been at church. Um, so my dad's a Southern Baptist preacher. I grew up. My brothers weren't really involved in church, but my parents obviously super involved. So I was expected to be there. Um, I started out at a different college, um, studying art. Left there and then was kind of just like lost and no idea what my direction was and. My dad is very much a, like, at least he was growing up. I don't know if he has as much of Like a, here's your sign. Not a Jeff Bachman, but like a, <laughs> here's a sign from God that, like, this is the direction you're supposed to go. Um, and so just kind of, like, trying to look for signs and, <laughs> sorry, the catch jumped on me. <laughs> I mean, um, I mean, we... The the episode where we introduced her, I was just like, she's just being a kitty. I just so, wasn't expecting that. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> All right. But no, yeah. So just trying to like find a sign of like what God wanted me to do. Because very much in the mindset of there's this one path that mm. God has for me. And if I don't do this exact one path, yeah. then like. The calling. The thing. calling, the yes. Calling, yeah, if yeah. I don't follow this calling God has for my life, if I don't find the right calling, then. uh because God's going to hide it from me. And it's a mystery I personally have to solve. Um, if I don't find that or follow that, then I'm like out of God's will, basically. Um, and so I took a semester off after my first college. And I was like, yeah, I'm just going to like ask around to these people that I know and trust these adults and see kind of what they're thinking. Um, and the guy that was leading youth at the time kind of like had me in a like somewhat of a just helping out youth because there was nothing else for me as a college student. Um, and then I talked to a good family friend that our youth groups did stuff together and was just like, Hey, I'm kind of thinking about going into ministry. Like, do you think that's a good idea? Whatever. And he kind of think the word we used was, a uh, confirmed my calling. Um, and so I was from about an hour from the Baptist college of Florida, which is where I met Jonathan and Kyle. Um, and so I went and checked it out and I was like, yeah, this is great. I'm going to come here. I'm going to study ministry. I'm going to be a youth pastor or a youth minister because we're Southern Baptist. 
So I'm a youth minister and it's going to be great, whatever. So I started there. Um, I got there and quickly kind of realized I grew up, I guess, very shallow in the things that I actually knew. Um, I learned pretty quickly about Calvinism or Reformed theology. And I was like, what? There are people that believe only certain people go to heaven and like, um, it's people that God predestined and like how we're totally depraved and like a little further into like, if you're a Southern Baptist, a true Southern Baptist, you're somewhat reformed. Um, you got at least like a, what is it? You don't lose your salvation. Um, Mm. they essentially lead kind of towards total depravity, things like that. Um, but I just learned more about it. And at first I was like, what is this? And they have those like little reformed songs that people would sing to like make fun of. I can't remember them off the top of my head. But um, I just like heard about it, but I was like, whatever. I didn't really give a second thought. But then um, one of my best friends, she met her boyfriend, who is now her husband. And he was very, very reformed. Um, our school, um, which I'm sure Jonathan and Kyle could attest to, had a very kind of tightened is the word, but mm. everyone knew who the reformed people right. were. Um, they would, they loved to argue with people about mm. Calvinism and reformed theology. And they all wore the pocket shirts, if I'm not for mistaken. The pocket <laughs> so, button shirts. Yeah. Like that was what I the saying so, was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it was the, wasn't it like the double pockets the though? plaid shirts. I think some the of them did. Double yeah. pockets. They were, some of them were the hipsters, I mm-hmm. feel like. Of, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, it was a split, yeah. though. I feel like there was a split between Arminian and oh, Calvinist. Yeah. Like, there, there was a was. Sta- like, you but could see I don't think the there were too many true Arminians. Yeah. Um, but no it was real, very yeah. Southern Baptist mm, Arminian, mm, I guess you could say. Mm, mm, um, and mm, then very reformed. And there yeah. was. There was a very staunch contrast yeah. between the two. Yeah. But they would be quick to call you out, though. Like, oh, but the Calvinist, sure. like, you're an Arminian. Yeah, like, for sure, Arminius for sure. or whatever. They wanted to make sure they knew that they <laughs> they, they pinpointed that. Yeah, that exact... they knew who you were. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're yeah. rejecting the sovereignty of God. Mm. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yes. Um, but I guess just when my best friend started dating her boyfriend, I just learned more about it. Started going to church with them some. Um, and I realized looking back now, and I think I knew it then, but I realize it now, especially that like. To me, I was always very self-conscious of, like, my knowledge um, growing up and just how smart I was. And mm. so it felt like I understood this, like, intellectual theology. Mm. And so it became very, I guess, like a pride point of, like, oh, well, I'm smart enough to understand this and believe this. Um, and so I got pretty into it. I, I didn't even really attend a Reformed church growing up, or not growing up, in college, Um Kyle and I went to the same church for a while and it it wasn't reformed. I think mm-hmm. our youth pastor that was there is reformed mm-hmm. now, but then he was not reformed. Yeah, yeah. Um but Tem- in temporary yes. Southern Baptist. Yes. They took they the Baptist out of it. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> um but I don't know. I just got really into it. I made sure in all of my exegeticals and my uh doctrinal statements I had to make for myself mm-hmm. that I was being very intellectual and reformed um, in my beliefs. Um, definitely had a little bit of rebellion in me, which I think is what helped me to get out um, because I uh, try not to call people out too much. Um, <laughs> there's a person that I dated in college that 
was like basically told me that the only ministry as a woman I needed was to be a preacher's wife. Um, and I, even though I was reformed and that is very much a reformed thing is like a woman is the submissive person and she kind of stays behind and takes care of the children, which there's nothing wrong with that. If that's what you're into, it's fine. But I was never that person. Um, so I like broke that off as soon as it was like, no, like I have my own calling. Like mm-hmm. it's not involve mm-hmm. only what is your calling basically. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, I feel like I'm rambling now, yeah. but basically I just stayed super in that camp, graduated in that camp. Um, went to seminary. I went to Southern Baptist Seminary in New Orleans. Um, and I told them this the other night we were talking about it. I like wore my Calvin shirt as I worked in the coffee shop on campus. So I could make sure people knew I was smart and reformed. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I moved away. I moved to Missouri for a short time, found the most like reformed church in Springfield, Missouri and like mm. went there. Um, and basically I came home and I just, I think a big things, I don't know how deep we want to go into what actually brought me out of it, but yeah. basically we'll, we'll get there. Okay. So we'll I'll just there. do a yeah. quick thing of basically, I just saw, I think for the first time, one, I think it was going from my mental health issues that were not being addressed personally or by others. Um, that was a big impact, but also just seeing the way that reform community really treated mm-hmm. the people around mm-hmm. me. Um, yeah. And even just Christians in general goes in my whole deconstruction. We'll get to that later. But specifically out of the reformed movement, my big thing was just seeing the way they treated people around me um, and how yeah. there's no hate like Christian love, like mm, a lot of people like to say. So, mm, mm. Yeah. 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 Sorry yeah. if that was a lot of rambling. No, no that, was that was great. Good. That was great. And we'll, we'll definitely, yeah, you I know, know. I was trying not to go too deep into certain aspects. Get a little deeper and go into some details. Um, no, I just hand it off to you, man. Um, you know, really just the same thing. Like what, how, how did you get into that mode of, you know, that camp of evangelicalism being in that reformed Calvinistic tradition and like, what, what's your journey with that? Yeah, sure. Well, if you thought that was a lot of rambling, get ready. (laughs) (laughs) I, I do have to ask Hannah because this was like the, I feel like the reformed tribes, we always have like our little signals of like, how we identify as a group and for my community at the college I was at and kind of my friendships at that time is that we were all either like pipe or cigar smokers it was like Um, our way of being like cool and edgy like we're not legalistic you know because we smoke mm -hmm. cigars was that was that a thing in your report no that was that was kind of the thing when I was at New Orleans because you were allowed to smoke on campus at least cigars and stuff but at UCF in our contract to attend school we could not drink we could not smoke any of that, whether it was summer, or Christmas break, we were not allowed to drink or smoke the entirety. And like people got kicked out over that. Wow. So I think it was more, it was a small enough campus that I think it was just, you listen to people um, say certain like pointed words. They're like, oh yeah, they're reformed. Mm-hmm. But I will, I will echo that in that there was this ur of like cool swagger. Oh, I mean, yeah, to definitely. like, to, to reform people. Like there was this, ah, I want so to be that guy <laughs> right right like there was this i don't know there was just something about pull like oh god if i can only be that smart or like there was this attraction of, of i think the big beards um were for men <laughs> yes yes what what hundred percent it was then hundred percent i don't know for women what it would have been mm-hmm. but you know never mind i'm gonna keep myself <laughs> <laughs> man it's, it's so weird like i i'm definitely not 
firmly out of any of those traditions. But yeah, I have a big beard and I enjoy a good good stogie every once in a while. Yeah, so the times have changed. I feel like it would be different now. Yeah, so you know what that means. The reform people don't own that stuff. Exactly. It's not just theirs. You own your side. <laughs> next next time you're in Philly, we're going to smoke some cigars. But yes. Mm, yes. It's a must. It's definitely a must. And, and not discuss predestination. Yep. Right. Yeah. There you <laughs> go. Active rebellion. I, so I will stay on the cigars. Yeah. But, uh, definitely. I'll join the conversation. Definitely predestined to smoke this stogie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Can you all the predestined jokes. No, <laughs> no. Sidebar, um, really quick, Noah, b- b- before you go into your story. Hey, you know, like whenever things just like hit you, uh-huh. and, like I just thought of the name for this episode. What? Tell me, Jonathan. I'm so ready. Predestined for liberation. Oh, Ooh. it just like hit me. I had to, I had to share it. Was it. the Lord? It was, it was yeah. predestined. It was. It was. It was predestined. Jonathan, I'm so glad that the Lord has laid that on your heart today. Yeah. <laughs> it's confirmed our calling to be here. There we go. Yeah. I'm there we go. <laughs> All right. Sorry, I already uh, already derailed the question. <laughs> You're good. So, kind of like sharing my story up into the point where things start going off the rails. Is that kind of the the prompt at this point? Uh, yeah. Just just like, um, how how did you get into like that Calvinistic reform tradition? Sure. You know, what brought you to that journey in that? What that was? What your experience was like in that? Well, um. You know, God knew when he was um, forming me in my mother's womb that I would be born into a reformed household to learn the true gospel. Um, And I grew up in a very reformed family, Uh, briefly attended Sovereign Grace churches um, as a really young kid. But uh, for most of my young adult life, I was attending two churches at the same time. That's uh, one the one. C.J. Mahaney, right? Oh, yeah. Sovereign Grace? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Sovereign Grace is a story in and of itself, but I was yes, too young to is. know about any of that at the time. It um, is. That's, that's yeah. where Joshua Harris and the I Kiss Dating Goodbye, all that comes out. Yeah. Grace. yeah. Flashbacks. Um, oh, yeah. Sorry. Trigger warning. Trigger um, warning. But, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it was only in that church very, very briefly when I was young, but I spent most of my young adult life, really from middle school through high school, uh, going to two different churches, uh, Presbyterian Church for youth group on Wednesday and Sunday nights. And then Sunday mornings, I was at a non-denominational church, which was also very reformed, but in the like, we're non-denominational. So we're like too cool for the label kind of way. Um, In the way that I think my conspiracy theory is that every non-denominational church is just like SBC in disguise, um, because it theologically probably would have sat kind of along those lines. And so I was in two like very, very heavily reformed bubbles there, especially in the Presbyterian church, which was kind of more formulative for me as a person anyways. Um, And then I was also homeschooled as well. And my mom is a brilliant, very intellectually minded person. And so a lot of my education growing up uh, was also a lot of literature from the Reformation communities and also the apologetics communities that were kind of adjacent there. Uh, and so a lot of what I was reading in high school was, you know, the the John Pipers and the R.C. Sprouls and then 
<clears throat> excuse me, all the apologetics as well that kind of go along with that. The Josh and Sean McDowell's Ravi Zacharias, Ken Ham answers in Genesis, all that stuff. Ooh, I was eating up, yeah, you know, yeah. that was like my daily bread right there. And then, and then Romans like over and over and over and over and over again. And then we read the gospels for like a day and then Romans over and over and over again. <laughs> mm, yeah. So yeah, very, very much like inundated in uh, reformation culture um, in that way. Uh, and so that really heavily influenced my views on God and the meaning of salvation and my relationship to people who didn't believe the same thing as me. Um, I was also, um, you know, growing up in that tradition, I was saved, prayed the prayer, probably about six years old uh, and was very much, I have a lot of anxiety as a person and I did also when I was really young. And so a lot of what drove my uh, dedication to my faith was my fear of the consequences of the opposite. It was uh, mm. my fear of a very angry, wrathful God um, and of hell, essentially. And, mm. you know, I'm, I'm sure if you asked my mom, there would have been more nuance to the gospel I was presented with because she was a very nuanced person. Um, but just in the way that I received it as a young child, my faith was essentially about the existential dread of where will you go when you die at from a very, very young age, you know, four or five, six years old, you know, Jesus came so that we can go to heaven when we die. And so what it meant to follow Jesus, what it meant to be a Christian was drawn up in that kind of existential fear of the consequences of if you don't. Uh, and so that was kind of the like seedbed for my faith and my relationship with God in a lot of ways for most of my young adult life. And it played into my anxiety in a lot of ways. You know, I was the kid that was like saying the the sinner's prayer over and over and over again all day long every day because I was afraid that I just didn't quite mean it right. And it was kind of like a magic spell that I had to just mean it, mean it right once, you know, and then I was good. I was okay, but I was never quite sure yeah. I really meant it. Um, and so it was, it was a, um, very like one dimensional view of what it meant to follow Jesus. I think that I was given in those spaces. And also I was kind of an, a intellectually minded person in the sense like I was very, I wasn't smart in a lot of other ways, but I was book smart. I could under, could read and write. I was really into literature and I was also a musician. And I think the combination of those two skills kind of put me in a position where I was offered a lot of leadership opportunities from a really young age in the church because I could understand and kind of communicate um reformation understandings of what the bible meant really well and i could also play and lead on worship teams and so for most of my adult life starting in probably like seventh grade is when i got into worship team sixth or seventh grade um and was pretty quickly like involved in training other members starting worship teams because i was at those two churches you know i was playing on sunday mornings in the main services but then i was also you know, by senior high, I was like coaching middle school worship teams and leading senior high worship teams, you know, playing in the main services. And then I was a, a leader in the middle school youth group and uh, kind of a, a student leader in senior high as well. I was responsible for leading small group discussions and that sort of thing. So I, I wasn't the cool kid in youth group by any means, but I was like the all in for Jesus kid. Yeah. Uh, and again, like some of that was just like my dispositions just kind of fit some of those roles really well. So I kind of just sunk into them. Um, but also because of the, the, the fear component 
I think was part of the reason I was so drawn to the, um, like very heavily into Reformation thought because it offered a lot of certainty in my understanding of salvation and, and theology and who God was. Uh, I probably, depending on the day, I might I I tell people I was a four point four and a half point Calvinist because like limited atonement was the one like it depends on the day how I'm feeling if I'm buying into that one or not. Uh, probably was more days than not, but um, I I was all in. Uh, I heard somebody else say this phrase once, you know, I didn't just drink the Kool-Aid, I spiked it. You know, like I, I was all in, I was uh, teaching this stuff too, in a lot of ways. And so much of it had to do with my fear, because I, I needed that certainty. And having a theology where I could kind of like, almost mathematically predict how God would act in any circumstance, uh, and then with the apologetics sort of angle tied into that too, I, I had an answer for every argument anyone would have against either Reformation theology or just belief in God, Christianity as a whole. I was so into that culture of um, almost like shock value apologetics. It was like, I got to make the other person look stupid because I'm so much smarter. I have better answers than them. And so anybody that had a differing opinion than me, and I had... At the time, I was very genuine about it. You know, I don't mean that to say that in a really jaded way. I, I genuinely believed and was passionate about those things. Um, but in a lot of ways, it was my fear of needing to have all the right answers. And it kind of put me in this position where anybody that thought differently than me, um, their beliefs, their experiences of God were sort of a threat to my own worldview. And it threatened that certainty. And so part of the reason I think I entrenched myself so deeply in that Reformation theology um, was it, it fit my kind of academically mindedness, but it also helped kind of calm down those existential fears that I was sort of handed from as young as I could remember. And I was orienting my whole life around. And I'm not sure like where a good stopping point is there, except I'll say like kind of coming out of high school, I was then transitioning into going to Bible college to be a worship pastor. Um, and then that's sort of when a lot of shifts started happening in my own faith journey. So I'll, if, is that a good place? Yeah, to, to that's, pause? that's perfect. Awesome. That's perfect. Cool. I want to, I want to camp here just, just for a minute. Question for you, Hannah, yes. did, did you ever experience what like kind of in Noah's story within that, that reformed or, you know, Calvinistic mode of evangelicalism? The fear aspect. Like fear of going to hell? Either that or fear of not having those intellectually right answers or... Um, I think I had fear of not having the right answers. I think that goes back a lot to just my insecurity of being a woman at a Bible college um, because I was in Bible classes. Mm -hmm. Like I went back and forth between elementary ed a couple of times, but like when I, like especially when I went to seminary, like there's a time I use this example. I've told a few people about this that like I was in a um, I think just like a general theology class that you take when you first go to seminary, and my professor asked a question. I answered the question, completely ignored it. Went to a dude. Dude gave basically the same answer. I did. He was yeah, that's exactly right. And it's just I think my fear was more of not being valued, mm. not having the right answer, mm. and being a woman who didn't have the right answer. Yeah. yeah. Just be like, ah, oh, the stupid woman, like, thinks she knows what she's mm, talking about type thing. Mm. More than really a fear. I think I had more fear of hell before I became reformed. Because um, I grew up in a very, like, 
end times right. <laughs> house. Right. So I think that was more my fear before. Right. right. And that's pretty staunch in SBC. Yeah, that's like, pretty. Like, yeah, I think that's I mean, pretty. Heaven normal. and hell. You yeah. Know, where are you going when you die? Do you do you know? Yeah, but when I was reformed, it was a thing of. I mean, there are reformed people who be. I mean, I don't think a reformed person would deny the thing of like, well, ultimately, God knows whether you're frozen chosen or not but right. to right. me i was right. so right. i think that's i think my fear became more of an intellectual thing yeah and not being taken seriously as a woman mm-hmm. with yeah belief. just yeah. out of out of curiosity because i i grew up in a my, particularly in the presbyterian church that i was in uh women in ministry was like the like the devil's work <laughs> yeah. that was like really bad and uh, that was the sign that your church was like not in God's way, you know, oh, you were in rebellion. Me, mm-hmm. And um sorry. <laughs> the um I'm I'm curious, did you have pressure from your peers kind of in in that reformed environment at school, kind of like I don't want to say conspiring against you, but like were they uncomfortable with you in that space, like in the same way you were getting from your teachers? Um yeah, I think so. I think so I didn't have a lot of professors who were super reformed. So I think they were a little more open to it, but it was like a, you're going to be a children's minister or the youth minister. But in, in the times that I went to a reformed church, um, I think it, I definitely had people mention things to me about the fact that like, I should not be teaching because I wanted to do youth. And so it was a thing of like, once a boy hits puberty, basically like he can't be under your leadership. Mm -hmm. So I think really when I was more reformed, I was getting a youth ministry degree my plan was to get a master's to do women's ministry. So I did kind of go a more women's ministry route for a little while, um, which is actually the ex-boyfriend that I was talking about. I wanted to be a women's ministry, like really working like conferences and stuff. And he even was like, you don't need to do that. So I definitely got some pressure, but I also just kind of don't like conflict. So I didn't really talk about it. And if I did, I went more, oh, well, I just want to work with women and girls. And they were more comfortable with that than mm-hmm. other things yeah mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah yeah that does make sense yeah so the the idea of fear mm-hmm. and specifically within these very specific you know modes of evangelicalism like um like a reformed Calvinistic tradition like like the 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 thing that I'm thinking of is specifically like the predestination piece mm-hmm. right of reformed theology and the idea that you know God is predestined you know before you know the forming of the world and all that jargon they say about who goes you know who who's going to end up in heaven and who's he's predestined go to go to hell and 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 the fear that that creates and what that does to people you know um i mean first of all i think that's just shitty theology <laughs> like you know but just i just want to talk about that fear that like what that does to people like when whenever we're perpetuating this idea that oh well 
you may or may not be going to heaven. You actually may be, because, I mean, I'm pretty sure most all, like, people in the Calvinist reform tradition believes in eternal conscious torment as yeah. hell, you know, um, burning forever. Um, but you, you, this, this creator that we say is loving may have predestined you to burn forever in hell. Like, I want to camp out on that and talk about what that does to people. Mm-hmm. Like, that, it, it just makes me think of a, sadistic type of god that is just like antithetical to this god of of love that loves his creation right um that people talk about but it it, that doesn't sound like a loving god to me yeah you know yeah what what are y'all's thoughts on that like what what that fear like I don't know, just just those ideas within the reform tradition, like, yeah. I don't know. I think for me, at least for the majority of my time being reformed, I think I just followed it so blindly in the sense of like, well, first of all, I think just the idea of hell was always something that I was taught mm-hmm. about, mm-hmm. like that, whether it's chosen by God or by yourself. Like, there are going to be people that face eternal torment. Um, and so maybe because I already had the idea of hell in my mind, it was less far-fetched for me. Mm. But I don't know. I think for me, it was, you're just, you put so much in there, like, all for the glory of God. Sola, yeah. Sola, sola Deo Gloria. Wow, it's been a while since I've had to say the souls. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you just think so much, or I thought so much about it all being for the glory of God and God always having a plan. And like, there's a thing of, I didn't look at it as, I don't say not as a bad thing, but not as trying to get my words. I don't know. It just, it didn't seem like something to be fearful of for me Mm -hmm. personally. Um, I think it was just in my mind, people talked so much and the environment I was in that like God is a good God and God doesn't do things with, for no reason and things like that. So in my mind for a long time, it was just, I mean, that's just how it is. Like the sovereignty thing. Like, yeah, yeah. God is God sovereign. sovereign. Like yeah. I just didn't question it, I guess. Yeah. Um, but then I think at the end of the day, that could also be part of why I left. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. No, what's your what's your thoughts on that, man? Like you 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 know you brought out that the conversation of that fear aspect, like you know, and just just thinking about what that you know how people perceive that, what that may do to people, like to I mean to their mental health, to you know their spiritual well being, like this idea that. This this fear of I God may have predestined me to like burn forever in eternal conscious torment. Like, you know, what's what's your thoughts on that and just the fear aspect that intersects with that? Yeah, well, it it kind of brings to mind some of the things that Hannah just said. Where the way that I would have directed that question, because there there's a lot of what I would consider gaslighting that happens in mm-hmm. those communities mm-hmm. when you 
question the the ethics or the morality of of a god that would create a world that functioned in that way um and the way that the reformed person would answer that would be sort of to bypass your ability to ask those questions they would Mm -hmm. put it back on you as you know like the we'd find a verse in romans the who are you oh man to to speak back to the potter Mm -hmm. as the clay right Mm -hmm. um and would say that any discomfort that you feel um with the god uh functioning that way as the moral standard of the universe um, is just a problem with you and your ability to accept true goodness for Mm. what it is. Mm. Um, Mm. And, and um, the way Luther put this, I'm really showing my cards here, right? I'm going to quote some Martin Luther here. (laughs) Yeah. He described it as like the masks of God, where to us, it seems like God's putting on this devilish mask that he's doing something that we would call evil, but that's actually our problem and it's actually good. And we just need to learn to accept that. Mm. Um, And, you know, we, you know, I would have pointed to some Bible verses to like Jeremiah 17, the heart is desperately wicked. You can't, you can't trust your own intuition. You can't trust those questions because that's just the devil getting to you, trying to get you to believe the wrong things. And, and the way that I would kind of tie that into the hell conversation is that in a very intellectually minded tradition like that, combined with a good dose of evangelical sort of Romans road theology, salvation comes from a sense essentially i would have probably nuanced this a little differently at the time made it sound a little more um detailed uh but but essentially in that kind of tradition salvation is a product of holding the right intellectual beliefs and so you questioning those beliefs immediately puts you in danger of Mm. hellfire because Mm. that's that's what salvation is that's what it means to believe in god is to believe these truths right and Mm. so it creates this very it's like walking on a tightrope is kind of how it felt it was like i gotta stay in my lane because if i just teeter a little too far if i just let the doubts in just a little too much right Mm. um that's it you know Mm. and so it it creates this very strange relationship with god where you i didn't feel like i was able to have a dynamic relationship with god where i could question something and be like what the hell <laughs> yeah honestly which is funny because you read yeah. the psalms and that's like all they are right or the the amount of times in the bible where somebody calls god out you know look at stories of abraham or moses saying hey god don't do that that makes you look bad and god's like yeah you're right and affirms people questioning something god says god's gonna do um, i had all my clever workarounds about that at the time but um <laughs> the yeah so the, the fear was kind of combined with like and that's what made other people's beliefs and ideas and experiences of God so threatening is that mm-hmm. I might be persuaded, I might be deceived by the devil into thinking that something is okay that's not. And of course, we had our lines that said, well, there are the, the how, how was the phrase? Like, there are the essentials and the non-essentials. But so many times, even those non-essentials kind of got roped into the essentials of like, well, but no, you really need to believe that or you're not a real Christian. And so there was this just yeah. tightrope dynamic of just don't question anything, just follow the, you know, whatever it says in the institutes, basically, um, or we would have said whatever it says in Romans. And there was there was no room to question whether that image of God was good or moral. And if we did, not only did it put us in danger, but it was it was that gaslighting it was just well, that's that's just your problem that you can't accept true goodness for what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it's it's an impossible conundrum to be in that space because yeah. you're, you're just told you can't trust yourself or your emotions in any way mm-hmm. um, and then of course that plays into the mental health component big time yeah yeah that just brought back a memory that i think i don't even think i was in the reform camp yet but i remember um i guess it was a youth group or college one um the pastor being like so can we ask god questions and i remember being like no you can't question god like you have to believe mm-hmm. everything at face value and they were like no you can't i'm like no i can't ask questions like mm-hmm. he is all-knowing he is all-powerful right. i can't ask the questions or else that's something wrong with me right right i kind of forgot about that so just yeah and and jonathan we talk about this often about the whole and noah you mentioned the phrase not being able to trust yourself mm-hmm. and no. that 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 culture that breeds this um kind of pushing away of autonomy like individual autonomy and that we we can't believe different things and question and be our own person we have to conform to this particular group and fit into this this lane and we can't go outside of that lane if we do we're other or we're we're seen as uh rocking the boat or maybe even uh corrupting the the community that we exist in and so i think that that's something that i see often even going through the evangelical spaces i was growing up as well and then hearing other stories is that sense of like the not honoring people's individual autonomy in those conversations for sure which for me as an enneagram four is a nightmare <laughs> right 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 <laughs> it's so all about having and, your and that produces that that uh wiring or or preparing people to receive trauma as just something as a part of a norm yeah. and we kind of strip away some of those protective factors when we when we uh, deny people the right to set boundaries because yeah. um, th- those are very, very um, important to have as protective factors in one's life, especially if you've experienced something, um, those protective factors can be good. Setting those boundaries and saying, hey, I don't feel safe or I don't feel right in this particular situation. And in, in the evangelical spaces that I've experienced and the stories that I've heard is that it's literally taking that, uh, that, that, uh, that ability or that right away to say, Hey, I don't feel safe, you know, for sure. You kind of have to deny your own humanity Mm. in a lot Mm. of ways. Mm. A lot of the things that make you human Mm. are, well, I mean, again, from a reformation perspective, total depravity, right? So there's nothing in you that's good anyway. So all, all that junk, you know, all of your, your emotions, your feelings, your questions, your doubts, Mm. all of that's a a problem that you need to just, shove shove down deeper and obviously that doesn't fix anything right? no yeah. no i think that that was great like you know you pointing out the gaslighting you know uh that if you question if you say hey if you say hey like this i this this particular teaching is uncomfortable i need boundaries like i don't it, i need to step away it doesn't feel safe like that gaslighting right like it's it's on you because you're questioning, you're right. slipping, yeah. right? You're there must be sending you your know, life. like mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. You must not be truly found in Christ, yeah. you know, or <laughs> rooted in Christ, or yeah. not dying to self enough, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Denying yeah. yourself. Yeah. 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 All right, so Hannah, um, what what broke this tradition for you? Yeah, like. What what was the thing that said, 
I, I don't know if Reformed or Cal, Calvinistic tradition is it. Yeah. Um, there's a few different things, I think, that all led to it. Um, I think one was just, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more later, but one of my mental health, just realizing how detrimental it was to my mental health mm-hmm. um, and how when I needed answers and I needed comfort, the answers I was given in the Reformed Church were not comforting at all mm, <laughs> they mm, just made it worse because yeah. it was a me problem it was a sin problem it was a whatever it was me praying every night for 10 years for god to take this thorn out of my side mm, um mm. and it just getting worse um, yeah. i think was a big part of it um but also like i said i think a big thing was just seeing the way like people around me were treated whether it was um, people of color, the queer community, um, all of that. That was a big thing. I grew up in a household that is not affirming. Um, and if you don't know what affirming is, I just always assume people know what it means. Um, but then I was having a conversation with a friend the other night. And basically affirming is a church, not just a church term, but in the church, it's like you accept queer people for who they are and every single part of them. Not a just we'll put up with you type thing. Is yeah. Put it. But yeah. Um, it, I grew up in a house that was not that way. Um, and just to see the hate and like, I noticed it when I was younger, but I guess the older I got and decided to think for myself mm. <laughs> for one of the first times, um, I just couldn't understand. First, it was a becoming separation of church and state type thing of believing that the church shouldn't have a say in whether two men or two women or two people wanted to get married, um, no matter what their gender was. Um, but then kind of got to the point where I was like, okay, but maybe it's not a sinful thing, even within the church. Um, and so just coming to a point where now I think there can be holiness, as much holiness in a queer relationship as there is a straight relationship. And God can be in that relationship as much as he can be in a straight relationship. Um, But I think that was a big thing, was seeing just, especially in the queer community, um, just how much hate there was coming from the church and becoming affirming and also just, I don't know, just my first tattoo was, they will know what your Christians by our love, just the words by our love. And I just realized within my life and within the theology I was standing behind how little love there was in that um and so it was kind of a thing of i need to be able to stand for that love um and then also a big part of it was really when i moved to missouri um was i literally moved into my apartment the day that donald trump won the election (laughs) um because i remember going to sleep that night because my dad and my uncle were talking about it um and i until I married Tim or got with Tim, I was not a political person because, again, don't like confrontation. Um, so I stayed out of it a lot. But even then, being as out of politics as I was, I knew that was going to be a terrible idea. Um, and just seeing this is, I guess, going into my deconstruction in general, not just out of reform theology, but just seeing how much blind faith there was in this man that was very clearly not an example of Christ. Um, but they basically viewed him as the second coming of Christ. Um, 
Yeah, those were my big things. I don't know. I think for the first time in my life, I let myself question my faith. And like I said, I thought questioning God was bad. Oh. Um, and just allowing myself in large part because of where I was mentally um, to question things. And I don't know. I think it was just a lot of little steps of realizing the hate that was in the form community. Um, mm. And just thinking that if God is love, then this is not the type of love I want to be a part of. Yeah. 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 We plug here. We, <laughs> we, we have, because I think you, you mentioned, you know, um, LGBTQ yeah. and specifically LGBTQ Christians, yeah. right? We have two episodes on this podcast with two queer Christians that if you haven't listened to yet, you should go listen to because it's beautiful people, um, great conversation. Um, yeah, find those and listen to those. I just had to say it because you mentioned yeah, it and like sure. they queer Christians exist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And oh. I'm just going to go ahead and put this out there. Like now um, my husband and I have left the SBC and we go to a Methodist church that is affirming. And it's been really cool to see a community where there are more queer people or gay people, really gay men. But it's all gay men mm-hmm. in my small group. <laughs> um, there are more gay men in our small group than there are. And like in beautiful relationships with other men, whether it's marriage or just a long-term relationship, there are more gay men in my small group than there are straight couples in my small group. Mm. Um, and there's gay men who help lead worship and are super involved. And it's just, there are gay women there too. Just put that out there, but mm. or queer women. <laughs> but it's really cool to, like there are churches out there too that if you want to still be involved in church, that allow you the space to be involved with all sorts of people because we now go to a really awesome one. So if you're in Nashville and need one of those churches, hit me up and I'll hook you up. Mm-hmm. There you go. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. yeah. Um, Noah, what, what broke this tradition for you? Like what, you know, started your journey out of this camp of evangelicalism? Yeah. It's, it's honestly like a really, I knew that this question was going to come, obviously, and it's a really difficult one to answer of like, it was because it was just so many little things kind of all happening at once. And a lot of it took place at that. I spent one semester studying to be a worship pastor at Lancaster Bible College. And um, I, I met and at the same time I had, I guess I should clarify this first, like because of the the background I had growing up my whole life I was either in one of those church buildings or I was in my home like homeschool group and so every relationship literally every relationship I had in my life was with another Christian um, and specifically almost all of them were also heavily reformed Christians and so I kind of existed for almost 18 years of my life in this bubble of people that looked and thought almost identically to me And so it made it very easy to be really judgmental and make a lot of assumptions about all of the other people out there. Um, And I was a really prideful person, too. And some of that's a trait that I'm still actively working to undo um, and apologize for in my life. Um, And in my anxiety as a person combined with that existential fear and my reform tradition was just like the perfect concoction to make me a person I really wouldn't want to be around today, honestly, Um, because I was so certain I had all of the right answers to every question and every 
I've said this several times already, but it, it was so true that every other person's experience of God, every other person's belief in God was a, an enemy that I, and ultimately they were an enemy that I had to intellectually defeat to uphold my own idea of certainty. Um, and going to a college where I started to meet a lot of people, even at a very conservative reformed leaning college who didn't think the same way I did getting a job for the first time in my life, um, outside of a Christian context, I worked at Christian summer camps and that sort of thing in high school. Um, and so developing friendships with people that fought and lived nothing like I did, uh, but what was, was so strange about that is that I had always been given this picture growing up that the people out there, the other people were living this sad life without Jesus or without the good theology, you know, mm-hmm. and it, and that they were all just had this God-shaped hole in their heart that had to be filled. Mm-hmm. And it was the strangest thing when I started building these really great relationships with people that looked and thought nothing like me. And I saw the fruits of the spirit in them, you know, like I, I saw love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control in their lives and in their relationships. And my tradition said that you only see those things in a person where the spirit's present, right? So like, what do you do with that? Mm-hmm. And I made friends with people that were um, just thought differently than me in, in every capacity that way. Uh, and they were great, amazing people. And, you know, I made friends with people in the queer community and I saw the way, you know, I would have phrased it then, like I saw the fruits of the spirit in their lives. You know, now I look at that and I see the presence of, of God in their lives and in their relationships. I see this beautiful image of God. Uh, and it was just sort of one thing after another that way, where I started to be exposed to people that were really just amazing, loving, wonderful people. And it's part of me feels silly saying that that's all it was that kind of started to break down those walls. But I was so deeply entrenched in this view of certainty that made no room for anybody that looked or thought anything different than me, that that just like the walls just kind of started crumbling at that point. Um, And at the same time, I, I also, when I was in that one semester, fell really, really hard for my best friend, uh, who was also a guy. And I had to kind of reconcile my own queerness in that circumstance, which that was always, that was like the worst thing that could happen to me in that situation, right? Is to realize that about myself. And I remember coming to my pastor and saying like, hey, I'm, I'm going through it. Like I have all of these questions and even I'm meeting people with different theologies than me. And, you know, they've actually got some really good points here or they're pointing out things in my theology that are actually really harmful. You know, like, what if, what if we're wrong about this, you know? And, um, I remember when I, when I came out to him and I said, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like, I have these friendships. I'll, I'll, I'll do one thing at a time here. I came out to him and, and the first thing he said, he was really unfazed, which I thought, oh, this is cool. This is going to go great. Uh, and the first thing that he said to me was, this is going to be a really great testimony for you in two months. Mm. Like, this is going to be that, that story of the person that overcomes their temptation. And you're going to like mm. be able to do so much for Jesus with this story. And I was like, Did, are you even listening to what I'm saying? Like, what, that's all you have to say, you know, mm. um, like that's, that's what this experience is reduced down to. And, and at the same time, like I said, I was developing these friendships with people and I just, I wasn't buying it anymore because I was seeing these amazing relationships. I'm like, I think this is something to be celebrated. Uh, but at the same time, I, I wanted so deeply to be connected in, in my faith community I grew up in. I was like, Hey, I want to come home and I want to, uh, be a youth, a student leader again on the youth retreat, that kind of stuff. I want to be involved when I'm home from college, you know, and I was told, well, you're having these doubts. 
about your theology in this area and it's too much of a hot button issue. And so just your uncertainty, your inability to answer the question definitively for a student that might come to you with this disqualifies you from any position in ministry mm. until you get this shit sorted out, basically. Uh, I, I didn't ask if we could curse on this podcast. Oh, um, you're, okay. you're good, man. You're good. Oh, I'm getting fired up here. I'm caffeinated <laughs> for nine o'clock at night. <laughs> but, um, and it was just, it was sort of one thing after another like that. And after I got out of school, I, I left after one semester, I went to audio school. But I, I got a job at a church after that, and the church had a, a female pastor in ministry that preached on Sundays. And again, that was really outside of my context. But then I saw that I saw that the the good that that person was doing in the lives of the congregation, the way that they were ministering, I was like, that's that's got to be God, right? You know, like there, there was a certain point where all of these walls just kind of fell down because I experienced the again, like I'll use the cliche language, the fruits of the spirit. But you know, the way I put it now is I. I recognized the presence of divine love in their lives and i i saw them as uh, a window into god that way and it was beautiful and it just became harder and harder to hold tightly to these ideas that disqualified them from that and at mm. the same time the the church that i worked at looking back i they were entrenched in a lot of evangelical theology that I have a lot of problems with but i'm one thing i'm really grateful for at that job is that um, they were a part of the Anabaptist denomination. And so I encountered a lot of really radically different ideas about what it meant to exist in this world as a follower yeah. of Jesus. Um, and I started getting into nonviolent atonement theology, different alternatives to the heaven and hell dichotomy that I was given in high school that was controlling my faith in so many ways out of this fear, uh, nonviolent visions of God. And I came away with that and I, I just started to realize how harmful a lot of the beliefs that I were holding were to other people, how it excluded them from experiencing the love of God and how I was like holding them at arm's length with that. And it was the opposite of the love that I experienced in my relationship with God and that I wanted to embody in my life. And you know, I could go on for hours about all the nuances of that. I'm trying not to rabbit trail too much. But it was just sort of one thing after another like that, where I just couldn't see things in terms of these very narrow boxes and categories that I was given growing up. And I encountered this vision of God that was so much more beautiful. And I slowly got to the point where I was willing to say, I, I think that my own experience actually does matter a little bit. My own feelings, my mental health, these sort of things, my doubts about this image of God that looking back, I think was kind of narcissistic and petty in the the way in which glory was ascribed to him. Um, and it, it's given me this opportunity to see people in a whole nother light and embrace parts of myself that I had a lot of fear and, and self-hatred over in that process. Yeah. Yeah. That was a long rant. Sorry. Yeah. I no, I that that was great. Thank thanks for sharing that part of your journey. Um, and I I totally get that. I mean that that's you know that's you know part of my story is with kind of navigating out of my own you know mode of evangelicalism that I was in, firmly you know rooted in the you know conservative Southern Baptist tradition. I was, I never really, you know, fell into, you know, Calvinist or Armenian or anything like that. It was just very, just very much so the traditional conservative Southern Baptist 
you know, sure. and you, you know, like the, the, the cliche, you know, thing, um, like when, when you said keeping them at arm's length, you made me think of this, love the, love the sinner, hate the sin. Oh, yeah. I hate that saying, yeah. but like, you know, like queer people, for example, like we, we can love that person. Right. But we, we, we hate that sin. Like, in other words, we're, we're going to, we're going to keep them at arm's length mm-hmm. because they're still queer. That that's still part of who they are. Mm-hmm. We hate that sin. We're still keeping them at arm's length. Mm-hmm. Right. It's basically it's, saying we're going to love them so much that yeah. they're going to become straight. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's that basic tactic of the church is the bait and switch. Yeah. You know, like, Oh, we love you. Come on. And then we're like, but keep that. Right. Keep that. Yeah. Outside of here. You know, but, you, but oh, we all are welcome, but. but right. 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 <laughs> yeah. But when, when, when I started actually, when, when I finally put my arm down and I started sitting and actually listening, not to try to save somebody or turn somebody straight or fill in the blank, whatever it is that keep, kept people at arm's length. When I started actually listening to people and actually just listen to take all of who they were in, a lot of my categories were shattered. You know, because like you, you know, I, I resonate with that, Noah, like I, I actually saw like divine love, like in that person that was humanized because I actually chose to listen and embody who they were, you know, and Mm -hmm. really just take in all of who they were. Mm -hmm. Right. And not keep that arm up. Yeah, for sure. And no, I'd like to ask you, you know, this question. I well, first of all, I want to thank you for sharing uh, that piece of your story, and um, want to honor that. And thank you for trusting us with that story and, and sharing that here on our podcast. Um, but I, I like to hear um, a little bit about um, people uh, navigating in that in that evangelical space and questioning their sexuality and how they deal with it. How how what is their experience? And and so. I'd ask you this is how, how did you navigate that when you were in that space, questioning your sexuality and, and, and processing that internally with yourself and experiencing all these external uh, pushback from other, other, other places, institutions, things like that. And then on the other side of that, how did that transform your view of God on the other side? Ooh, that there's so many directions. I want to take that in. I'm just (laughs) going to like start talking and figure out the lane along the way. Um, so with those relationships that I was developing, even at my, my one semester at college, I, it, I've very quickly changed my, first my disposition, but then also probably very quickly my theology on that issue, because I did a little bit of research and I was still working from a, a biblical inerrantist viewpoint at the time, but, um, I discovered some really great resources and really quickly became super passionate about queer inclusion in the church but i didn't include myself in that category in a lot of ways the the self-acceptance came much much later and it's still something i'm i'm currently working through in a lot of ways to be honest about it because it was so much easier to advocate for other people um without drawing myself into the mess of that relationally with people 
mm-hmm. uh, because I, I knew what it would do to a lot of those relationships. And it was really difficult, especially when I was working at uh, that church, which I'll call them an evangelical church, even though Anabaptist isn't technically mm. connected, but they functioned um, theologically and uh, in terms of flow of service and all of their disposition was very evangelical. Mm-hmm. Um, a few people knew but that I felt comfortable sharing that with. But for the most part, that was something that, especially as an employee there, like that was also a threat to to my livelihood, um, Mm. if I was honest about that. Mm. Um, And what I would say, and I don't want to speak for anybody else, but it's really hard to be in those spaces and to just sit through other people's conversations and hear all the same thing, like the jargon, the talking points that you Mm -hmm. used to give. And then now also connecting yourself to that experience and all of those things and to feel like you're just kind of sitting there quietly and you can't say anything, you know, because Mm. there's it's so easy to be othered in those communities. Because, again, there's a the threat of wrong belief um, and the eternal consequences of that is very Mm. real. And even on some of these issues where we say, well, that's not a fundamental. So many of these issues, especially when it comes to sexuality, kind of got roped into that in this twisted sort of way in a lot of evangelical circles. And so it was a really strange place to sit in, in that Mm. way. And I think that that was probably part of why it took me so long to kind of come to some terms of my own self-acceptance because it was easier to hold that view almost at at arm's length that way, like disconnect it from me as a person and mm. begin to kind of subtly advocate in those spaces, but not feel like it was actually going to come back on me mm. in terms of my relationships. Um, I feel like you asked another question that was really good, and I can't remember what it was. Yeah. Now. How did that How did that transform your view of God on the other side or out, mm. of, out of that, you know? Okay. So, yeah. yeah, that's a really fun question. I'm going to try not to go down any rabbit holes, but I <laughs> – it – my <laughs> – Right now, I, I I would say that it's become like my most important spiritual practice. As someone that's not currently attending a church, my my daily spiritual practice is to actively unlearn and mm-hmm. trying to unlearn a lot of the toxic beliefs that I was given about God and about other people and begin to be open to seeing the presence of the way I would describe this now is to see the, the presence of divine love um, mm-hmm. echoing out of all people as image bearers of God and to celebrate that beauty in all of the unique and diverse and complicated, confusing, messy ways that that actually shows up in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that as, as a facet of so many of these other conf- topics that we've talked about, being able to see that part of my own life and a part of other people's lives as a unique way to reflect the love of God into the world mm-hmm. and to to celebrate that and to build a life around it. And it, it just became this like beautiful way of seeing God in other people um, mm-hmm. in the same way as all of these other bits of theology we're talking about, right? Regardless of, of what religious views you do or do not hold being able to see you as someone that is uh, the way I would phrase it you know beloved of God child of God and is imaging that love into the world regardless of your your intellectual categories you might phrase that into and so it became this for me right now the way I describe it is just in that process of actively unlearning 
I feel like I'm able to experience the love of God better through the lives of other people in ways that I would have resisted it before because it didn't fit my categories. And so I'm better at receiving it. I feel like I'm better at expressing it um, because I'm, I'm not afraid of, of whose life it's going to reach, right? It doesn't have to fit my categories anymore. And um, I'm still actively unlearning and I'm, I'm excited by the Sorry, idea that I know yeah, absolutely nothing now, if that, that makes any important. sense. Yeah, man, that's, that is, um, that's beautiful. Like, um, just that journey of like you reconciling your own sexuality to your faith and then like how that shaped your view of God and how you saw people. Um, Hey, we, we've mentioned it a little bit, like, um, I think this intersects a little bit with you know, us being able to trust ourselves. And I, I think that, you know, on a, on a micro level intersects with, we can trust ourselves because, you know, the image of God, that the, the, yeah. the divine, you know, within us, a lot of people would call that blasphemous, but I, I truly believe that we, we, have divinity within us yeah. you know there, there's divine love at, at the center of human beings creation humanity and so i i love that perspective of how like your view of god was shaped out of your own journey um with with reconciling you know just part of who you are in your faith um so thanks for sharing that man yeah of course to kind of you know, land this plane, um, you know, just, just two, two things. Um, one, how, how has this journey, uh, Hannah, I'd love to hear from you because you mentioned this. Um, how has this journey shaped your view of mental health? And the reason I ask that question is because going back to like a reformed theology, the idea that in the predestin predestination thing um that and, and the sovereignty thing right mm -hmm. god's sovereignty that some somebody living through a mental health crisis or a mental health uh, disorder yeah. or or even a just a regular illness yeah a physical health issue um, just thinking about reform theology that 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 is that is for you know the glory of God, right? And to me, that turns God into a narcissist. Yeah. You know, come back to it. I just think that's just shitty theology. Yeah. <laughs> and so, intersecting with the mental health conversation, how how is your view of mental health now? Yeah. And and again, I love to hear from you because you've navigated your own journey within that space and realizing you didn't have the tools, um, you know, to address your own journey with mental health. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think my biggest thing, I'm going to kind of go back a little bit first, is like realizing I've been struggling with depression since I was in like middle school. So how old am I? Probably like 16 years now. Um, and just something we talked about before this episode 
was just the fact of not having those tools, like we said, to um, handle my mental health. So I just dealt with depression forever without medication, without counseling, without anyone really acknowledging it was there because it was just kind of, I think, a bigger issue than anyone that I was close to wanted to handle Mm. or tackle. They didn't have, which is not their fault because they didn't have the tools to do that themselves. Yeah. Um, And so looking back now, people like now that I've shared my story with depression and anxiety and things like that, people ask me like, Oh, well how, like what tools can I give this person? Or you should go talk to this person to give them tips on how they got out of it. And really, and truly looking back now, I mean, medication is a huge thing. Um, it took me a long time to not feel like, I don't know, for a long time, I just wouldn't take my medication once I got antidepressants and anxiety medication. Cause I hated the fact that I felt like I had to rely on that to function as a normal person. Um, so one just that doesn't make you a weak person. If you're listening to this and you need medication, go take your medication or get medication. Um, it doesn't make you less of a person. Um, it's actually incredibly strong for you to be able to say that's what you need and do that. Um, but I think where I am now, just in my faith, um, I was talking to Tim about this not that long ago. Of I think in my life now, is everything perfect? No. But for the first time in probably 16 years, probably in all of my almost 30 years, I am the healthiest mentally I've ever been. Yeah, so I think for the first time in my life, not because I left church for a while. I came back to church and I started dating Tim because he was very involved in church. Um, and then this past year, um, being in the church we are now has been the most, I think, healing year for me spiritually ever. Um, just being in a space where I can ask questions and I can, if I don't feel like standing up and raising my hands during worship, but I don't have to. Like, it's just a very, it's been a very, very healing journey for me spiritually this past year. And I think one, I've taken away the thing of, it's not a thorn in my side that was given to me by the Lord to make me stronger um, or to make me have a better story to give him glory. Um, It's just, we're using this word a lot tonight, a shitty thing that I had to deal with um, that a lot of people sadly have to deal with. And I think taking God, sorry, this is going to sound blasphemous to some of you, taking God out of my mental health struggle um, has been one of the healthiest things I've done. Um, And realizing that it's a chemical imbalance and it's like this thing that I can take care of now and Mm. I'm not weak or I'm not sitting by taking care of that Mm. um, Mm. has been a huge thing for me. So I think just... Feel like I trailed off and now I don't remember where I started, but um I don't know. I think mentally, mental health wise, um, I'm in the best best place I have ever been because I don't tie my spirituality to my mm. mental health or mm. my relationship with God to my mental health. Mm. Um and do I have all the answers to how to do that? No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um it's taken a lot of taking that guilt away and that shame away of mental health itself to get me into that place yeah Yeah. so i don't know if that answered your question i forgot where i started but (laughs) and it goes back to that whole each person has their own mental health experience yeah for sure that um some things may work some things may not but that story is so important that it's it's that part of your journey that you have 
learned and you things that you found healing yeah you know and things like that so and the thing is too that you have to remember that even for you or like for me as a person the things that helped me five years ago don't help me the same way they do now Mm -hmm. and so making sure that journey to get yourself mentally in a healthier place that you're open to letting that change Mm -hmm. because even the medication i was put on originally um my senior year of college doesn't do it for me now what it did then Mm -hmm. and so i think just being able to recognize even when you need to change what's helped you right um has been very helpful too right yeah it's good it's good Noah, how was how was your view of mental health and navigating that and what that means to you now? Yeah. Yeah, well I think the one of the most significant things um that's come out of this process of renavigating a lot of my faith and theology is being able to actually engage with my own emotions uh with mm. much much therapy (laughs) uh and yeah if i could probably advocate for anything um that would be therapy i mean it's just been so transformative in my life of undoing a lot of that harm a lot of those beliefs that i internalized um being able to re rediscover a vision of god that was again like we i don't want to echo too closely what anybody else has said but again this this image of god in the reformed tradition where it's all for glory and so that horrible thing that you're experiencing is actually good and you just can't see it and it's like a way of not acknowledging the actual hurt that you're experiencing in your life and bypassing that um coming to a vision of god that is so deeply relational that that is like the antithesis of everything that that i imagine of, of the divine now yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. navigating my relationship with kind of kind of like you said, Hannah, like of how you engage with faith and mm-hmm. um, your mental health and how you don't try to like mix those categories in an unhealthy way mm-hmm. um, is something that I've experienced as well. I mean, if there if there are some kind of pearly gates up there someday where we go and we die, the, the first bone I have to pick is whoever decided to write the cure for anxiety over that mm. sermon on the mountain. Mm. <laughs> Jesus yeah. says, Don't be anxious. I'm like, right. hey, that fix the problem. <laughs> but as someone that's, uh, you know, gone through seasons of suicidal depression and panic attacks and all of that fun stuff, therapy, medication uh, have been uh, lifelines in my life mm. in so many ways and things I've become so grateful for mm-hmm. uh and also just finding communities that are willing to non-judgmentally not non-prescriptively sit with you in whatever you're going through mm-hmm. that you feel safe and you can trust them with that and not feel like you're a burden or you're a there's something wrong with you for having those experiences mm-hmm. um has also been something just incredibly incredibly helpful for me yeah and if I can just say any advice to people listening to this that have friends who are struggling with mental health, they need more than scripture. Mm. So mm. find like, especially believers, encourage them to do other things because like Noah said, do not be anxious uh, is actually not helpful mm-hmm. <laughs> when your friend is having an anxiety <laughs> attack or a panic attack. Yeah. So encourage your friends to seek more than just scripture. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So any any last thoughts before we close it out, Kyle? Mm, I think we covered a lot of a lot of groundwork. Yeah. I'm thankful yeah. for 
Hannah and Noah being on the podcast and sharing yep. their stories individually and how they may intersect in a lot of ways. They all have their own experiences within that yep. and um, how how amazing it is to see where we're all at, I think, now um, as a collective of people that came out of this staunch, rigid existence yeah, and now sure. coming out and, and for me I, I can express from my own experiences like i feel like letting go i hear a lot of like a letting go just like taking all those extra parts out and just seeing the divine and 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 people and and, and seeing things in a different way is like it's it's liberating yeah it's, sure. it's removing yeah. those barriers that once held us back and we're supposed to feel free when we accept right where when we grew up it was like there's freedom in jesus but I felt like more and more that I got closer to this Jesus that was in this perfectly fit picture and box, I felt more or less free and I felt more oppressed than I did. Yeah. You, know, you get what I'm saying? So, so yeah. I feel like uh, that's awesome that we are in this space where we can actually have these conversations in a non-judgmental space where yeah. we, can, we can be okay with where we're at and be a okay to have different viewpoints and be able to talk about those in, a, in an open and honest way for sure. Yeah. So really quickly, just from each of y'all, um, just to really kind of close this out, better pass forward, just really quickly, what would you sum up? Um, and I'll let Noah start this time since yeah, I've been, since I've been saying Hannah, like, what would you say? Like somebody that's kind of in, either staunch evangelical tradition or Calvinistic or that reformed tradition. And they're just kind of kind of questioning, like, you know, they, they have some things that they want to poke at, but they're scared to, you know, yeah. um, just some better paths forward, like navigating that. Ooh. Well, I guess I'll caveat this is as someone that's trying really hard to not be the person with the answers anymore. And to spend more time listening, I don't want to uh, think assume that anybody's journey is the same, and you know, evangelize them into my own <laughs> path yeah. or anything like that. I'm still actively trying to pursue what the better paths are forward from here for myself and figure that out. Yeah, um, with the the friends and family in my life. But what I would say, well, let let is, let, okay. let 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 me rephrase it. Then yeah. I I I understand what you're saying. What what is a tool that you have used? Ooh, okay. That, That's really helpful. That, that, that you think, you know, was helpful for you that you think other people might find some goodness in. As, as someone that's like really biased against social media at times, finding online communities, uh, if you don't have people local to you and your local you know, friends and family that you can share your whether it be mental health struggles, will it, whether it be questioning some of your theological beliefs and your ideas about God, um, finding spaces online where you can comfortably connect with other people that are maybe dealing with some of those same questions. Um, again, that's something that was really helpful for me. At the time, there was this awesome group. Uh, I don't know if anyone also listens to the You Have Permission podcast for Dan Koch. It's awesome. Dan's a really cool guy. Um, yeah, but for me, that was the, I was in his Patreon Facebook group for a while and it was just people that were all literally asking the same questions as me. And we just got to confide in each other in kind of this curated safe space online and share some of those frustrations. Uh, I'm really grateful for the work the the New Evangelicals is doing, for example, in that way. Uh, and there are so many other communities, so that's by no means a plug for that. But finding 
finding ways to connect with people. There are so many ways to do that to create community, even if it feels like that's not an option locally for you to just get some support along the way so you don't feel like you're alone. Because I think that that's the, the most common effect of this experience with everyone I talk to and something I still struggle with sometimes is that feeling of like, oh, it's just me out here on an island and nobody else knows what the heck I'm talking about with this stuff. <laughs> so yeah, online online communities and therapy too. Therapy is great. Yep, that's good. Anna, what navigating this journey for you um, and, and coming out of that reform tradition and just evangelicalism, you know, navigating that, what are some tools that have helped you that same thing others might find some goodness and help in? Yeah. Um, I think so growing up, you know, you're told if your friends, like if you grew up in the church, if you're friends with people who are not Christians, it's just a slippery slope. Right. Um, but I think for me, a huge thing that helped was I worked in the public school system and seeing kids and other teachers and other employees who do not have the same experiences as I do and just being there and listening to their experiences and going into it with the fact that they have valid experiences just because it's not what you agree with or what you've experienced does not mean it isn't true for them. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think I know, like you said, not everyone can do online, but if you or do in person, check out online. But if you have those people that you work with, um, or that you come in contact with regularly that have different experiences in life than you do going into it, listening and not just going to argue. Um, and I think another thing, like I said, my church community this past year has made the biggest impact, I think. And so especially people in the church find other spiritual leaders and church leaders that have different views of the Bible and different, um, doctrinal views or theological views or whatever it is um and have conversations with them don't go in to tell them they're wrong and don't go in to try to convert them to be southern baptist like you are or whatever denomination you are um but go in and trust that those people also know what they're talking about those people Mm -hmm. also have done their research and they didn't just all of a sudden blindly decide to follow this but they also have theological education they also have experience in that and just go into the have those conversations with Mm, the spiritual leaders mm. and trust their knowledge and their experience as well so it's good Mm, it's good yeah all right well man what uh i mean just a fantastic conversation i so appreciate both hannah and you Noah coming on and having this conversation and sharing your own individual experience and you know also ways that y'all stories you know intersect in some ways in some similar experiences y'all have had and just navigating all that Um, i know i know this is going to resonate with somebody that listens to this and it's going to be helpful and hopefully a healing bomb and like some encouragement for some some good starter steps forward just better Mm -hmm. mental health and better ways to view and think about Mm -hmm. the world Mm -hmm. so thank you guys a lot um, for coming on having this conversation for sure thank you for having
Yeah. yeah, I'm honored to be yeah. here. I'm yeah. Yeah. grateful for the space you're creating for these conversations. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And as always, we'll be dropping some resources in the uh, bio of the episode. And uh, I would like to kind of drop in a great resource that I know has been helpful for a lot of people and myself is churchclarity.com. If you are in the LGBTQ community and still faith is still a big part of your life and it's healing for you. Uh, this website, if you haven't heard about it, um, shows you churches in your area that um, are affirming, or if they're not, it shows most doctrinal statements of uh, whether where they are on staffing, where they are on marrying um, same-sex couples, things like that. So it's a great resource. I would highly recommend it. Um, churchclarity.com, and we'll drop that in the, the bio for not sure. sponsored, I don't think. No, no. Okay. not sponsored. Um, and like I said, for real though, if you live in the Asheville area and are looking for really healing affirming church hit me up on instagram whatever i will connect you or at least put you with my pastors it's a man and a woman so if you like mm. little preachers that's there too mm. but i'll connect you with them and maybe they can help you too yeah nice nice all right guys well as always thanks for coming to um our little show on um our corner of the the interwebs here um again we'll we'll have our socials and you know, some resources linked. But as always, um, thanks for joining us at our table, and we will catch you guys on the next episode.